When I talk about the day and age in which we live, it's not because I'm negative about it. I'm grateful to be alive today. But I realize that we live in a world that says when things are easy, God has blessed it. I'm here to tell you, you won't find that in your Bibles. I wish it was in my Bible, but it's not in there. Our Bibles say things like all who desire to live life godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Persecution is part of the life of a follower of Jesus. Hard word here, but it's true. The Bible promises us that fact. Don't tune out, though. The Bible promises help, too. It promises a life you'd never find anywhere else with the greatest Savior to love you and guide you and give you everything you need. Pastor Daniel will urge you in today's message to stay faithful to the Lord even when, or rather, especially when the road gets tough. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 3 as he continues his message, The Church in Philadelphia. We're not used to having a relationship with someone who is perfect, who is completely distinct, set apart. But only Jesus has this reality to who he is. And that's why learning as we walk with Jesus and we get to know him as we read God's word, we become more and more like him, which means we become more holy. As it says in Leviticus, you shall be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Because Jesus is true, falsehood is something that gets removed from us. We don't want to walk in falsehood. We want to be honest. In a lot of ways, true vulnerability and authenticity comes from knowing a holy and true God who we feel free to be flawed. Can I just tell you guys something? Our world at this point is making sure that none of us put on a facade anymore. And I actually think it's a scary thing, but it's a beautiful thing. Listen, nobody has it all together. Nobody has all the answers. Nobody bats a thousand. And that's why Jesus was the only one who conquered death. That's why I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus because when I believe in Jesus, I have everything right. I believe in Jesus because when I walk with him, I realize how much wrong I have things and how completely necessary Jesus is. He is our savior because he's the holy and true one. I've never been holy or true one day in my life, even though I might try really hard. And any growth in me is an outgrowth of the fruit of Jesus in my life, nothing that I've done on my own. So we can't even take credit for it. You know, and in a world where everyone wants to take credit for everything, everyone wants to pat themselves on the back, it's like Jesus is like, hey, my way is a whole different way. So Jesus is the holy one, he's the true one. But then he says, and it's very unique to this church, he says, he who has the key of David He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, this is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. And that's why I said that that really what we learned in the beginning is that we need to take the open door because Jesus is saying, I am the one, I have the key of David and I open and no one shuts and I shut and no one opens. Now, if you go to read Isaiah 22, what you find is that there is the transferring of power in Judah 
from an unfaithful secretary of state, so to speak, named Shebna to a more faithful one, a guy named Eliakim. And the idea of Eliakim receiving the key of David, David was the king. And so because Eliakim, as the secretary of state, was given the key of David, that he got to work with the authority of the king. And any door that David wanted open was going to be open because Eliakim was his ambassador. And any door that David wanted closed would be closed because he had the authority of the king. And Jesus is saying, in effect, that because he is the Messiah, the holy and true one, he can open up doors that no one else can open and he shuts doors that no one else can shut. That he has complete and total authority over all these things. And then it's amazing. So he starts with this idea and then he says, I know your works. And he says, see, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. And that's why I said that really what we learn is we need to learn how to take the open door. Jesus is telling the church in Philadelphia, I know who you are. I know what you're doing. And there's an open door before you and nobody can shut it. And he really, he's speaking about for the church in Philadelphia at that time, there was open doors of opportunity. He had opened up opportunities for his work to be done. And he's saying, and the door that I opened, no one can shut. The apostle Paul understood this. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. See, Paul's like, I'm staying in Ephesus because a door's opened up, and although there's adversaries, I got to walk through this open door. And brothers and sisters, listen, God has opened up doors for each one of us in all different ways, and the key for us is to learn how to take those open doors. Now, don't miss this. When God opens a door, it does not mean it's going to be easy. Because Paul said there are many adversaries. So we have this idea, and, and this is not a biblical idea, but it is a cultural idea. And when I talk about the day and age in which we live, it's not because I'm negative about it. I'm grateful to be alive today. But I realize that we live in a world that says when things are easy, God has blessed it. And I'm here to tell you, you won't find that in your Bibles. I wish it was in my Bible, but it's not in there. Our Bibles say things like all who desire to live life godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. <clears throat> it's like no one likes, like no one's like, that's my verse. Like no, like, no, it's like, but that's what it says. And we have this tendency to think that God is in the easy things and he's not in the hard things. But if you really look at your Bible, God's in the hard things. And sometimes he blesses us with easy things, but by and large, when God opens a door, you got to do stuff, and it's going to be hard to get through that door. I think of Jesus. We talked about it already. Our salvation was not easy for Jesus. Getting the gospel out in the book of Acts, sure, they had the, the day of Pentecost, and the house was shaken, and, and the tongues of fire, and preaching, and, and 3,000 people got saved. And in the next chapter, Peter and John are getting arrested. So we have this tendency to think, oh man, when God's in it, it's going to be easy. I'm here to tell you, no, taking the open door is not easy. And that's why so often we don't want to move through the open door because we realize there's adversaries. It's not going to be easy. You know, it's amazing. When I look at all the open doors that God gives us as a church family, a lot of them are hard. See, brothers and sisters, what are the open doors that God has given you? See, we live in a day and age where we don't really want to be inconvenienced too much. 
which I think that a convenient society doesn't really take for much boldness or courage. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should make our lives hard for no reason, but really for the church in Philadelphia, what we're going to see is there's an open door there, and they're taking Jesus like, that's a door that I've opened, and no one's going to shut that door. No one's going to shut that door. And for each one of us, God has opened doors. And as a church family, God is opening doors. The question is, are we willing to suffer what it's going to take to walk through that door? But when Jesus opens a door, he intends for us to walk through it. So what is it for you? Listen, I'm here to tell you, the reconciliation that's needed in that relationship, that's going to take some work. And it's going to be scary. It is. But when God opens up the door, you, you walk through that. Somebody is bound to say, well, Daniel, how do we know that when God's opened a door? That's a great question. I always like to tell people that one of the things that I've learned over time is you don't know what doors God wants to open, so you just knock on them and see what happens. It's pretty simple. Like maybe you're like, listen, I really believe that God wants me to do X. Well, have you knocked on that door yet? Isn't that simple? Like when a door is shut in front of you and you want to open, what do you do? I live my life doing this. I think I, so much of what God has done in my life is because I was just, I'm not a ding-dong ditch kind of a guy, but I'll just knock on a lot of doors. Like, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen? Hey, maybe God's in this. Maybe this is what God wants. Who knows? And you open some doors and they open. But you got to take the open door. And, I, and here's what I want to tell you. There's open doors in front of each one of us in all different areas. The question is, is are we willing to step through those doors? Jesus is telling the church of Philadelphia, he's like, listen, I've opened the door. No one can shut it. And then he tells us a little bit more about the church in Philadelphia here. Because look what he says. At the end of this, he says, For you have a little strength, you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Now notice this. The church in Philadelphia has a little strength. So it's not like this church is really like feeling super strong. Like he's saying, like, you're kind of, you know, you just have a little strength. You just have a little bit left in the tank. Things are not exactly easy for you right now. But notice... You have a little strength, and then he says, you have kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Because they've been what? Faithful. What's the F word in church? Faithful. They've been faithful. They have not denied who Jesus is, and they've kept his word. Now, here's the deal. So much of growing in Christ, maturing in Christ, what the Bible calls discipleship, is choosing to, when you have a little strength, keep his word and not deny his name. Here's the thing, the problem with faithfulness is that it's not new and exciting. Nobody's really, it's not like a sexy thing, like, oh man, I'm faithful. And I was like, wow. It's like, but in the end of the day, being faithful is doing what you know you're supposed to do because it's the right thing to do. And here's what I want to tell you, and I need to say this right now because I, I realize like when you are faithful, it doesn't mean it's always going to work out. Can I, I'm going to say it again. Just because you're faithful does not mean it's always going to work out. Because oftentimes we think, if I'm faithful, it's going to work out. You should be faithful because you're simply responding to Jesus and it's the right thing to do. And whatever the outcome is, you trust Jesus that my job is to be faithful. Jesus, you're responsible for the outcomes. Because sometimes we have this idea like, well, Lord, if I put in my faithfulness quarter into the vending machine of life, then I'll get out the Snickers bar of whatever I want. The Reese's peanut butter cups, king size, giant size, 
deep dish, you know, whatever it is. And here's the deal. You can do it all right and be totally faithful and it still not work out. And that's a hard thing. That's a hard pill for us to swallow, isn't it? When you're like, I'm doing what I know. This is the right thing to do. It's the right way to do it. And I'm going to tell you, God is glorified by you being faithful. And when it doesn't work out, God is glorified by us trusting Jesus, even though it didn't work out the way we wanted it to. Because if it didn't work out the way we hoped it would or we wanted it to, we expected it to, then obviously God has other things he's trying to do in that moment. And our job is, okay, I was, see what most of us do is like, I'm going to do it right. But then God, if God, you don't do what I want, then I'm going to stop doing it right because obviously this doesn't work. As if God's only goal is to give us the things that we hope for. God's goal is to make us like Jesus. And oftentimes, I hate to say it, the only way we learn how to be like Jesus and we're in situations we never wanted to be in. Isn't it true? Like, it's like when you have to die to yourself in a situation, like, I don't want to deal with this right now. You have to do things you never thought you'd have to do. But you look back on it with the hindsight that's 2020 in time, you're like, oh, God was teaching me this. Oh, God was teaching me this. So I don't want you to think for a second that being faithful to do what's right means you're always going to get the outcome that you're hoping for. Because that's just not realistic. There are people who are faithful to Jesus who still lost their lives for their faith. Does that mean that they were wrong to be faithful? No. It just means it was their time. Their days, the breath that God gave them were ending. But the key is to learn how to be faithful either way. How is God inviting you to faithfulness today? And I'm here to tell you, if you have a little strength, because it's easy to be faithful when you're like, man, I got it all going right now. But it's hard to be faithful when you're feeling like weak. But we have to keep doing what we know is right. Now, from there, this is what it says, verse 9. It says, indeed, I will make those who are a synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Now, what's interesting is before Jesus told us that we should take the open door, but now he's also encouraging the church of Philadelphia to take the escape route, which is interesting. Now, look at what's happening here. For the church in Philadelphia, like the church in Smyrna before them, there is this synagogue of Satan. Jesus is talking about this group of Jewish leaders who were persecuting the church because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, right? And Jesus talked about this, how they're going to persecute me, they're going to kill you, they think they're offering God service. The apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarshish, was doing the same kind of a thing. So there's persecution going on, and he tells them first that this persecution you're receiving from this Jewish group of people, he's like, ultimately, they're going to come and they're going to worship and they're going to bow down and worship before your feet. And really what Jesus is saying is that at some point, they're going to realize that I am the Messiah and they're going to bow the knee. Whether in this life, unto salvation, or later, unto judgment. So he's saying, even though persecution is happening right now, you have to remember where this thing lands. And in a lot of ways, when we're in times of struggle, when faithfulness is required, when things are hard, we always have to keep the long view. Where does this thing land in the end? 
And when you're following Jesus and things are challenging, you have to remember where it all lands. I always think of Asaph in Psalm 73. Beautiful Psalm where Asaph talks about, he sees the the blessing and the ease of the wicked. And he talks about how his faith almost failed him because he's watching people who are being unholy, they're being you know, immoral, and they're prospering. And he's like, why are they prospering? And I'm serving you, Lord, and it's going bad. And he said, my foot almost slipped. But then he said, but I remembered their latter end. I remember where it landed. And then he ends up saying, oh, but who have I in heaven but you? And there's none on earth that I desire beside you beautiful verse psalm seventy three twenty five. you have to remember where it lands in the midst of the trial in the midst of the struggle where does this thing really land ultimately and he said listen the people who are persecuting you they're going to bow down when you reign alongside of me jesus is saying he's like and they're going to know that i have loved you wow he's like look at that end of verse nine i want you to underline that in your neighbor's bible go ahead, just underline that for they will know that i have loved you brother says you you want a testimony I always love the Apostle John. In John's gospel, he calls himself what? The disciple whom Jesus loved. What would you think about if you thought about yourself that way? I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because you are. See, what a beautiful testimony when you can say, people know that I've been loved by you, Jesus. Of course, Peter and John, when they were before the, the Sanhedrin council, they, they knew they were uneducated, but they knew they'd been with Jesus. That fragrance of Christ. We sang it earlier that we're healed by his love. That because of who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives, people know that we're loved by God. Because his love is changing us. It's doing that work in us. And for the church of Philadelphia, even though they were being persecuted, that group of people were going to know. They were going to know that they had been loved by Jesus. And then it says in verse 10... Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, this is the escape route. Now, there's a lot here, but a lot of people here, it's funny, I've made it like, gosh, I've been like eight weeks in the book of Revelation. I haven't even mentioned the word rapture yet. That's got to be a, like, I don't know any pastor's ever done that. Can you give me a round of applause? I say, I've been working hard. Like, I'm going to push that one down the road. Now, the idea of the rapture, of course, is that God is going to remove the church before the tribulation period, right? So if you don't know that word, it, you know, it comes from the, the Greek word harpazo, which got translated into the Latin rapturzo, which you get in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's a hotly debated topic in uh, Christianity as a whole, depending on which church you grew up in. It might not have been debated at all. It was, this is what it is, this is what it isn't. No soup for you if you're on the other side. We don't believe that here at Crossroads. But like, in the end of the day, when people say, is there proof for the rapture? This would be one of the verses. Because if you look at what it says, it says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So now we're talking about this trial on the whole world that he's going to keep the church in Philadelphia from. So if you want to prove text because you believe in the rapture, that's one of the ones you'll use. Now, someone who doesn't believe in the rapture will say, well, it doesn't say the rapture. It says a trial. And then they go into the whole thing and that's why this thing becomes so hotly contested. In the end of the day, what I would say is whether or not this is a proof text for the rapture or not, in the end of the day, you and I, we want to take the escape route so that we're not in the middle of God's judgment on the whole world. 
Can I get an amen to that? So like, I always say it's like, we should prepare that God's taking his church will be post everything and we should pray for it to be pre. So because we want to be kind of people who are faithful and persevere through trials of life. Because it may not be the great tribulation, but we all have trials and issues in front of us and we have to have a resilient faith, a steadfast faith. I have a new book that's going to be coming out called You're Going to Make It, Unlocking Resilience When Life is a Mess. Because what I found is that for so many of us, it's easy to love Jesus when everything is good, but when things are hard, we, we lose that grit to be able to trust him and be steadfast in the, in the hard times. And in a lot of ways, we should say, Lord, I want to prepare my heart that I will, no matter what, Jesus, I will be faithful. I will trust you. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So we should prepare that we have to have a resilient faith, but obviously we should pray that God would remove us before those things happen, that he would deliver us from it. But what's amazing here is that not only should we want to escape God's tribulation. Now, I'll take a couple minutes and, and talk about this. We'll have more of this as we go deeper into the book of Revelation. The big problem with the idea of the tribulation is its timing and what does it mean? People have commonly said it's the seven-year tribulation, right? How many of you ever heard that phrase, the seven-year tribulation? Now, what's amazing is you'll never find seven-year tribulation not one time in your Bible. It's actually the bringing together of the prophecy of the 77s in Daniel chapter 9 with this idea of the tribulation period, and because the 70th week of Daniel is a seven-year period, they just kind of take the seven years and they put it with the tribulation and say it's together. But what's interesting, you look at the book of Revelation, the first three and a half years of the tribulation is a time of peace and prosperity. It's the second half, the final three and a half years, what's called in the Bible 42 months or a times time and a half a time in the book of Revelation. That's when the trouble happens. So then the question is, is it a seven-year tribulation or is it only three and a half years tribulation? You know what the answer is? I don't know. So you get into some of this stuff when you get a little deeper. And if you're really like kind of looking at the scriptures, you're like, oh, it's not a seven-year tribulation. It's really three and a half years. Jeremiah calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. He doesn't give us a timestamp on it. And so what happens? Now, what is going to be interesting is that we're here in Revelation 2 and 3, talking about these seven churches. In Revelation 4 and 5, we're going to see people worshiping in heaven. And then you actually never hear about the church again until after Jesus comes back. So some people say, well, that is a proof that Jesus is going to take the church out before this tribulation time, but we don't know how long it's going to be. Or some people are sure that it's going to be seven years or this or that. And, and the question is, it gets complicated as you get deeper into it. But you should, one, when God brings judgment on the earth, you do not want to be there. You want the escape from that, definitely. But also, what is interesting is that God also invites all of us into an escape from the trials and temptations we have every single day. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to a person, but God is faithful. See that word? Jesus is How can we be faithful when we don't know what's coming? How can we be faithful when life is hard right now? These questions and more probably ran through your mind during today's message. Pastor Daniel reminded you, though, how any of this walk with the Lord is possible. It's because He is faithful. God never changes. He's the same mighty creator and loving father He's always been. And he'll never change, so you don't have to worry about today or the future. You can simply trust. 
everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Join us again on Jesus Is Real Radio and Pastor Daniel brings you to the final church to receive a letter from the Lord. This church, located in Laodicea, is known as the Lukewarm Church. They're lacking passion. They're not on fire for the Lord. They're just going through the motions of following Jesus. And God says it's making him sick. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.